0: And I think the pandemic removed so many things that I previously thought were unshakable that I started to reevaluate what other things could maybe go without me missing them too much. And that was when I decided I would just leave completely.
1: Welcome to Career Relaunch, the podcast dedicated to helping you reinvent your career. My name is Joseph Liu, and I'm here to help you gain the clarity, confidence, and courage to overcome the challenges of changing career paths so you can do more meaningful work and truly enjoy your professional life. In each episode, I feature people who have decided to step off the beaten path to reinvent their careers and do work they find more fulfilling. We talk through their unique personal stories, the challenges they overcame, and the lessons they learned to help you understand what it takes to relaunch your own career. Today, my guest is gonna share her story of relaunching her career as a corporate lawyer to become a business founder and author. We're gonna talk about how your personal identity can often feel tightly linked to your job title and how tough it can be to walk away from a stable job. Afterwards, I'll share my own thoughts on how the pandemic can and should force us all to reevaluate our lives as working professionals. Today, I'm speaking with Eloise Skinner, who's an author, teacher, and existential therapist. She's also the founder of two businesses, The Purpose Workshop and One Typical Day. Eloise's newest book, The Purpose Handbook, was released in 2021. And the proceeds from this book are shared with Career Ready UK, the UK's national social mobility charity. She also has a seat on their youth board. Now, if Eloise's voice sounds familiar, it's because we aired the voicemail she left about her own career change journey in episode 77 featuring Erica Rusi. And in that message, Eloise talked about how changing careers doesn't mean you're throwing away everything you've done before, but rather building on those experiences in ways that may not be immediately obvious. So I thought it might be nice to get her onto the show to share her full career story and hear more of her thoughts on what it takes to make a career leap. You can get all the show notes from today's episode at careerrelaunch.net slash 81. Eloise spoke with me from London. Good evening, Eloise. Welcome to Career Relaunch, and it is great to have you on the show.
0: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
1: Okay. So we've got a lot to talk about today. I want to talk to you a little bit about your career as a former corporate lawyer. And then I know we want to talk a little bit about your book writing adventures, but I was wondering if we could first of all, start by having you just give us a glimpse into what's been keeping you busy right now in your career and your life.
0: Yeah. So there's been a few things. I think the biggest projects I have at the moment are writing. So kind of my third book, which will be out next year. That's a very big project, which I'm working on at the moment. And then the other thing is the business side of things. So at the moment, my business is raising investment and that takes up pretty much all of my waking hours and some of my non-waking hours as well, thinking about that. And so that's things like putting together a pitch deck, you know, pitching to investors and having lots of meetings, that kind of thing. So those are the two biggest challenges at the moment.
1: And what about the rest of your life anything personally keeping you occupied these days beyond what sounds like a quite a busy work schedule
0: i think i mean to be honest it's a very work heavy time of life at the moment i tend to think that's right because yeah like work moves in seasons you know so it comes there's very busy seasons and then hopefully towards the end of the year is when i'm thinking things will take a bit of a pause or at least there'll be a season where things are less busy but otherwise, I love to do things like fitness. So I'm a fitness instructor. I teach quite a few Pilates and yoga classes. And that, as much as that is teaching, you know, that's also a part of my work. But it doesn't really ever feel like work because it's also a personal passion. And it's something that kind of takes my mind off the other work that I'm doing and puts me into a really different headspace. So that's something I really enjoy outside of my main projects.
1: And can you just tell us a little bit about your businesses? Because I think you've got a couple businesses
0: yeah sure so uh the first one is the purpose workshop And this is basically a business that is centered around working with people either one-on-one or working with corporates or working with educational clients like schools or universities, just to help people find a sense of purpose. And it's really based on my work in the field of existential therapy, uh, which is the training I have on the therapy side. And it's the idea that everyone has the ability to shape their life in any way that they want people have the ability to find a sense of purpose in whatever situation they're in. This is kind of the basic understanding of existential analysis, which is the more academic side of things. And the business is a very practical skills-based workshop to help people do that. So that's the purpose workshop. And then my other business is an edtech startup, and it's called One Typical Day and it is a video platform for students to figure out their first career steps so we basically showcase video content helping students get an insight into a day in the life of lots of different types of careers
1: very interesting so it sounds like you definitely have your hands full with a lot of different things i i know that you haven't always been an existential therapist and you haven't always been a founder of two businesses and a writer of what's coming up on your third book Can we just go back in time a little bit and talk a little bit about how you got here? Because I know that you were originally working in the legal profession. Could you take us back to that part of your career and then we'll go forward from there? What exactly were you doing and what kind of firm were you working for?
0: Yeah, so I... had a very traditional career starting out. I studied law at university. I always thought, you know, I want to be a lawyer. I was one of those annoying people at 14 that was like, I know exactly what I want to do for my career. And this is the direction I'm going in. Like, this is it. This is my passion. And, you know, studied law at university, really loved it. Like, really loved my law degree from the academic perspective and ended up in the city training as a corporate lawyer. And I did two years training contract and then three years as an associate. And I spent some time out in New York uh, with our New York office and I ended up specializing in corporate tax, which is maybe not the most exciting job title, but it really connected for me with the academic side of law. So in corporate law, most of corporate law isn't really about law in a technical sense. It's more like the business environment and, you know, the legal aspects of a business deal. So it's very much driven by market trends and client demands and what's going on in the business world. But tax is a little bit more academic. So there's a bit more what we would call maybe black letter law, you know, the legislation, the statute books, all of that stuff, which apparently is what I really love to do. (laughs) So that's my legal
1: You liked that part of the legal journey, kind of being in what you called the black books and going through statutes and getting into the details of things. What did you think your career was going to look like in the legal profession? And then what ended up actually being the reality that you experienced?
0: Yeah, it's an interesting question, actually, because I think as a law student, even though you can think, you know, I really want to be a lawyer, but you don't know the reality of what that job is like in any respect until we actually get into it. And so actually at university, I thought maybe I wanted to be a family lawyer, um, someone doing kind of divorce and child proceedings and things like that and I did a family law internship and I just didn't really connect with it in the way that I had expected to. And so I ended up in corporate law almost as a result of wanting somewhere that was very demanding, like a challenging environment. It was where a lot of my peers were going as well. And the culture fit was really good at the firm that I ended up at. Like I really felt like, you know, that was somewhere where I could be myself and sort of challenge myself intellectually as well as professionally. And yeah, so corporate law was a very long way away from my experience as a law student. As I said, it's fairly business driven, so there's not a huge amount of legal study involved in it. So I guess, yeah, it was a huge difference from my expectations as a student. And obviously the other thing is the time demands, being in corporate law on your your life as a whole, I guess, and the kind of work-life balance of struggles or challenges that you have to overcome.
1: What kind of hours were you working at the law firm out of curiosity?
0: I mean, the interesting thing about law, corporate law in particular is that even if you're not working all of the hours in the day, you're pretty much available all of those hours. So that's the kind of nature of the job that can be quite challenging, I think, is this feeling of being sort of on call or on demand, as in like, you know, if you've got a work demand in the middle of your Saturday, you just have to go into the office and like drop whatever it was that you were doing. So it's that kind of unpredictability that was actually more challenging and more draining on a personal level than the actual hours themselves. And I think, you know, a lot of the firms in the city now are very conscious of well-being and work-life balance, and they try and do as much as possible to support you. But being in a very client-driven industry is just kind of the nature of the job. And that is a part of it, you know, being responsive to anything that comes in.
1: And at what point did you realize that this wasn't maybe what you wanted to do the rest of your life. What triggered that for you?
0: I think it was more of a slow process of just other things being really interesting to me and too many competing demands to be able to do everything and to give my full energy and attention to everything. So I'd actually already written a book uh, back in 2019, I think was uh, my first book. And
1: while was... you were working full time at the law <laughs>
0: firm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's kind of like, it was all my vacations and like weekends for about a year and a half or something. It was, Pretty interesting decision, life decision. That book kind of opened my eyes to, you know, the possibilities of publishing and being a content creator and doing different things with my time. And I think the more that I did other things, the more I could see that it was going to be challenging for me to really commit to something like 100% and law is one of those careers that if you really go for it and you wanna make it to partnership or something like that, you really are giving up your entire professional career to just do that single thing, not multitask or have a portfolio career or whatever it is. And so I think I got to a point where, you know, there's natural crossroads that happen at some point during your career and you're kind of thinking like, if I continue down this path, it sort of shuts off other avenues and do I wanna maybe take a moment to pause and figure out what to do next?
1: I know that writing a book is a major endeavor. What got you thinking about writing the book and and what was the book about?
0: Yeah, so that one was called The Junior Lawyer's Handbook. It was basically a handbook for junior lawyers. It was a professional development manual. So it was kind of an introduction to being a junior lawyer. And it sort of evolved really naturally from stuff I'd already been writing. So when I joined the firm, I ended up putting together an internal kind of manual for the trainees that were joining And I was just doing loads of sort of professional development teaching and helping out with training new lawyers and stuff like that. And that kind of evolved naturally into something more formal, which became loads of articles. Um, I was writing for a publication called The Lawyer at the time. And then, yeah, I was connected to an agent through a friend of a friend and we approached the Law Society. And yeah, they wanted to publish it, which was amazing because... They actually hadn't published anything specifically for junior lawyers before. So it was really exciting.
1: Wow. Super exciting. And then, okay, so you're working on this book, you published the book, you have an agent. At this point, are you still working at the law firm?
0: Yeah. So that's right. And obviously all of my work on the side, my kind of writing and stuff was all in the legal profession. So in some ways it was an extension of my personal brand as a lawyer, the work that I was doing you know, within the legal community. And it was very much connected to my professional role. I think, you know, when things started to, you know, I got my second book deal in 2000, yeah, yeah, 2020. (laughs) And like just before the pandemic. And it was then at that point where I could see the paths were diverging because as soon as I started to move away from the legal sector, that was when I saw more of, you know, like a conflict between what I was doing as a lawyer, and what I wanted to do as a writer.
1: And so you're working on your second book. And at what point do you decide that you need to completely cut ties with the law firm and focus 100% on these other side projects and endeavors?
0: I think obviously the pandemic was a significant factor in choosing that decision because I think had the pandemic not happened, I would have wanted to maybe still keep a little bit of my professional role in the legal sector somehow, whether that's like part-time or some kind of portfolio career. And I had had some initial conversations about maybe going part-time or doing something like that, doing the book alongside. And I think the pandemic really, as it did for a lot of us, like for me, it really forced me to reevaluate, you know, what do I actually want out of my career on a day-to-day level? And is it that I want to stay in law because it really fulfills me or is it just because you know I'm too scared to actually just make the move into something else entirely and I think the pandemic removed so many things that I previously thought were unshakable like you know that commute into the city the city lifestyle that kind of stuff it was all gone so fast that I started to reevaluate what other things could maybe go without me missing them too much and that was when I decided you know maybe not even forever but at least for a period of time like a year or something I would just leave completely.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting, Eloise, because it seems like the pandemic was actually part of that awakening that you had, and it almost showed you that life didn't have to necessarily involve the commute and maybe I'm kind of reading between the lines here, but that maybe you didn't need to have that be part of your daily life and there were other ways of of working. Now, where does the founding of the new company then enter into the equation? How did you get that started and off the ground?
0: The purpose workshop really came from the book. And that's quite a sort of interesting and unusual way of founding a business because normally the business comes first and then people write the business book to go with the business. But I could just see that the material was incredibly teachable and I was doing it one on one. And I just thought this is more scalable as a business. So I started to kind of put stuff together, made some online courses, you know, sort of formalized the whole teaching process. And then the other business one typical day that was really more of a product of just listening to what students wanted. So as the book had sort of taken shape, I was speaking to a lot of young people about what they're, you know, finding their purpose and what they wanted to do for their careers and stuff. And I could just see a gap in the market of kind of video based careers content. And I ended up on an accelerator program and that helped me structure the business and sort of put some market research and validation behind these ideas. And then it just continued from there really. It was really a natural process of listening to people and seeing what they wanted and seeing that there was a gap and trying to fill it.
1: How was the journey of shifting from full-time work to working for yourself and not only working for yourself but actually starting a couple actual businesses? Can you just describe the contrast in your day-to-day work life?
0: really really challenging in ways that I have not even expected before and there are obviously huge advantages like huge things that um, I feel so proud of myself for doing and ways that my life is so much more aligned now to who I am as a person and what I want to be doing with my time and so much more autonomy about my hours and how my days are structured. At the same time, there's a huge amount of anxiety about leaving a very stable traditional corporate path and not really knowing what comes next. Almost a sense of guilt as well, for I kind of felt like I fell out of the structure that I'd had for my life. I just was floating a little bit outside of that structure that's a weird way to describe it but it felt kind of untethered or like ungrounded for a while because my days had gone from being very determined by someone else's schedule you know meetings at this time because someone else says so or client demands at this time because that's what's happening to me being completely in control of what happened and when and with all of these projects like the book the businesses the teaching whatever if those weren't pushed forwards by me, they weren't going to happen. And so this whole like sort of weight of my career just landed on my shoulders, like really heavily. And, you know, there are things that I'm just so grateful for and things that are amazing about this time of life and things that are also quite intimidating or stressful or, you know, just challenging in ways that I hadn't anticipated.
1: Yeah. And I'm hoping we can take these topics maybe one at a time here. So first of all, just starting your own business. And then second of all, I do want to talk about your journey to get your book written and published. But you mentioned that it it was really challenging, this change. Can you describe just for maybe somebody out there who's maybe thinking about leaving their full time role and is considering to start their own thing? The existence as a self-employed founder, entrepreneur, solopreneur, whatever you want to call it. Can you just describe what makes that so challenging?
0: So I think obviously one of the biggest things is the identity question. Is your identity bound up in your role in your professional career? And for me, it definitely was because not only was I a law student and someone who'd said like, I want to be a lawyer since I was pretty young in my (laughs) educational journey, but also I was someone in the legal profession with a pretty clear personal brand and reputation for, you know, it wasn't just, you know, doing my legal job in the day and doing other stuff by night or at the weekends or whatever. But I'd also given a significant amount of my personal time to building a little bit of a place for myself in the legal world and all my connections are in law and, you know, my friends are in law and all of that kind of stuff. So that's one of the things that's really challenging is the process of unraveling your personal identity from your job title, which um, is an interesting process. But I think once you do it, it is incredibly liberating because then you just feel much more connected to yourself and you know a little bit more about who you actually are separate from the day-to-day work that you're doing. Also related to knowing yourself is sort of figuring out how you work best. And this is such a strange process if you have been employed for most of your careers and you haven't been self-employed before because you're suddenly free to structure your working day however you like. And it's not something you get the opportunity to do, obviously, when you're in employment. And so it's like figuring out, you know, when am I most productive? When should I have my meetings? What time should I start work? What time should I finish work? You know, boundaries, choosing when you're going to socialize. It was weird because um, I actually have a friend who's also self-employed. And we just realized, oh, we could just like, I don't know, go to like an art museum or something on a random Tuesday afternoon. And it feels (laughs) feels like illegal to do something like that, because it's like, what am I doing? I should be working in nine to five. But suddenly you realize you're actually not, compelled to do your work in that way. If you're not doing your best work during those times, then you can restretch your life to reflect that.
1: Everything you just said, Eloise, that resonates so much with me. Like the part about how our identities are linked up with our job titles, especially when those job titles are quite neatly packaged, like lawyer, or I grew up thinking I wanted to become a doctor. It's a lot easier to describe what a lawyer or doctor does versus somebody who's got multiple endeavors and passions and interests and so that resonates with me and then also this this idea of just how to structure your work day and we're so programmed to follow this monday through friday nine to five i guess routine but you're right there's not really anything that bounds us to that necessarily i mean i find i work quite well at night that's when i sometimes do my best work (laughs) when the sun goes down so you know i think this is also a good transition to talk about your book, because it is about what's called the purpose handbook. I'm talking about your second book and it is about helping people understand how to design their lives. And as much as I would love to get into the content of the book, I'm also very interested in how you came to publish the book because we touched on it earlier, but I heard once that everybody's got a book inside them. And I think for many people listening to this show, they've probably thought, yeah, maybe I could write a book. Can you just walk us through a little bit of your process of how you ended up writing the book, because it is a lot of work. How's that experience been for you?
0: A hundred percent, you know, I think everyone has a book in them and I think everyone should write a book. I've been trying to encourage my dad to write a book recently. I'm like, I think Uh you can do it and you need to do it. Like, you know, people have these interesting stories to tell and you know, more books in the world is always a good thing. But yeah, I think in answer to your question, it's probably a lot more well, it depends on what kind of book you're writing. I mean, I have no idea how to write a novel. I'm just like totally in awe of people who write fiction. I have no idea where like, where does to start. where does that even come from? Like, how do you imagine all of that? It's just so, yeah, I mean, that's totally out of my range of expertise. But with a non-fiction book, I think it's a very sort of almost mechanical process in a way, like you can really break it down into steps. You gotta write about something that you know. So something that you've worked with, either something you're experienced in, or you know, personal story that you have to tell, or something you're trained in, something you teach to people, a concept that you know really well that you have something to say about. And then you just break it down into chunks, like chapters, whatever. And then really from there you're just breaking it down into exactly what points you wanna make, what evidence you wanna like it. I know I'm making it sound really like unmagical and like very boring, but like it is almost a process of if you're going to write a blog post, you'd think about what kind of points you want to make, what kind of structure you want to have. And then it's just doing that on a bigger scale. And then obviously you have to tie everything together. So you have to have a key narrative or something that runs throughout the book so that you're not just doing disparate kind of chunks of content, but you're actually telling a story, even though it is a nonfiction book. And yeah, I think the most important thing is like knowing what you want to say to people. And I think sometimes books are written, like sometimes I read a book and I'm not quite sure like exactly what point the author was trying to make in it. And I think the really valuable thing before you even start is figuring out like what do people need to hear? Like from your audience's perspective, what do they need to hear from you that they haven't heard already? What new or unique content can you add to their lives to enhance their experience in life a little bit? And then how can you tell that, like, what structure are you going
1: to use? One more question about the actual book process. So I, I know you're saying you break it down, you kind of break it down into chunks, just in terms of finding the time and the headspace to sit down and work on your book. How do you do that in a way that's effective for you? And I'm asking you this question, because whether it's a book or any other kind of project, you've got to have time and you got to have energy to do it. So where do you build that into your day?
0: Some people have natural kind of self-discipline to do stuff like this. And, you know, they have a time every day where they just sit down and like, I've had writers say, I get up at 6am and I write until 9am or something, or do it really late in the evening or something. For me, I usually need an external deadline to really like do my best work. I need some kind of element of people depending on me. And like, if I don't do it, I'm going to get in trouble kind of thing. That's when I really- right. A little bit of
1: pressure. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, I think it's for me, it's definitely always been a good thing. So I've always had um a publisher kind of on my back with a deadline and that has helped me to power through. I think it's more difficult, you know, if you're just doing it as a personal project and you know, you only have yourself to depend on. And in that case, I'd say maybe consider setting yourself a deadline, you know, a self-imposed deadline, even if it's flexible. You could say, I'm gonna have chapter one done by this time, chapter two, you know. So you're really holding yourself to some kind of timeline.
1: Yeah, that's a good tip right there. It's kind of making sure that you're working towards something and so that you don't have this infinite timeline where you just end up procrastinating, which is what I sometimes (laughs) often do. Before we talk about some of the things you've learned along the way of your career change journey, I did wanna talk briefly about the book itself because it's called The Purpose Handbook, A Beginner's Guide to Figuring Out What You're Here to Do. And I'm just wondering, without giving away any spoilers of the book, for people out there who are thinking, gosh, I don't know what I want to do. I know I don't want to do what I'm doing right now, but I don't know what I want to do instead. Do you have any suggestions on where somebody might at least start?
0: The number one place to start is with yourself. So getting to know yourself before you start to figure out, you know, what do I actually want to do with my time? Because I think a lot of the time we start sort of several layers detached from ourselves. We think, you know, what would earn good money, what would look good on LinkedIn or whatever? what would sound good to tell my parents that I'm doing that sort of thing and I think the trouble with doing that which is how most people start out me included I think the trouble is sometimes you can do that and then follow a path that is a little bit disconnected from what you actually want to do as a human being in the world so I would say start with your personal values like what do you really what's important to you in the world like what kind of things interest you What kind of things make you excited about waking up in the morning? You know, what kind of things? And they don't have to be job titles. These could be sort of general principles or concepts or values or, you know, even relationships with other people or anything really. And then, you know, make a huge list, write down everything you could ever think of. And then just go back through that list and see if there are any things that are sort of integrated or any consistent themes that are standing out to you. So that might be something like, you know, spending time in community or you know, being an extrovert or talking to other people. And from there, you can start to get the building blocks of what kind of careers would be good for those kind of passions and skills. But I think you've got to start with the personal stuff first and then work outwards to the more like professional or practical stuff.
1: Speaking of personal things and focusing on yourself, I would like to just talk with you about maybe some of the lessons that you've learned along the way before we wrap up today. And I was wondering if you could just start, Eloise, by telling me... If you were to look back on your career change, what's something that you wish you had known that you now know about changing careers?
0: I think the biggest thing is no one cares as much as you do about the change of careers. And I was really worried that, you know, Making a big change in career would have everyone sort of questioning or saying like, oh, you've made a big mistake or you're walking away from something or what are you doing? Like, do you know what you're doing? And you know, those were all my own insecurities like sort of projected outwards and i think you know i just saw that no one really noticed or like or minded too much if they were interested it was because you know they were either thinking about it themselves or they were inspired or they were just curious and you know no one told me that i was going to make a mistake or no one seemed like overly concerned or anything so i think my big thing would be like the person who cares the most is you and if you know it's the right decision like worry less about what people are going to say or think because the chances are, you know, everyone's thinking about their own careers anyway. And, you know, the judgment is probably mostly in your own head. And, you know, if you have a strong enough conviction that you're doing the right thing, that's the most important thing you can have.
1: Very helpful. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I think we're so concerned with what other people are going to think. But at the end of the day, if you think about like, how much do you really think about Other people on a minute to minute basis, it doesn't really even even your best friends. It's not like they're in your mind every moment of the day. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right about the fact that we sometimes overestimate how much people are paying attention to. The choices that we're making. The other thing I was wondering about is given the fact that you've been on this career change and I'd say going from a law firm to founding your own company and also, by the way, writing a few books on the side, I'd say that's a pretty major career change. What's one thing that you've learned about yourself along the way?
0: The biggest thing is that I just have a better sense of who I am now in the career change. And I think, you know, I can see that my personality, you know, going back to the identity thing, isn't wrapped up with the idea of being a lawyer or like having legal skills or even working in the corporate world or even, you know, having a job at all. Like, I think it's really shown me that I do know who I am and I have quite a firm foundation in my own identity and passions and interests. And I'm so much more than any kind of career label at all. And so I think, you know, even if I do go back into... The corporate world in some capacity or go back into corporate law at some point, I think the real gift of this period of time has been to almost find this really firm foundation within myself that I can now just sort of rely on whenever I need to, regardless of any career changes or developments that happen in the future.
1: And also I'd be really curious to hear, because it sounds like you have so many different things going on that you find so fulfilling right now. We talked about some of the challenges of making the changes. What do you enjoy the most now about the kind of work that you're doing?
0: The idea of making an impact is just really, really exciting to me. And I think that was maybe something I was missing in corporate law a little bit was this sense of, you know, shaping the world in the direction that you want it to go in. And I think being a sort of business owner and being someone who's actively putting content out into the world, is, as you know, as well from your own experiences, you feel much more connected to the stuff that you're doing. You know, your impact is right there and it's much more tangible than it is when you're working in a big corporate firm where, you know, you rarely see the outcome of the work that you're doing in terms of a sort of impact in the world. And so I think the idea of making a social impact and sort of changing things in the way that I believe they should be changed you know, towards social mobility and accessibility and diversity and all of that kind of stuff you know, that gives me so much energy to continue to push in the businesses and also with the books and stuff. So that's the biggest thing.
1: Well, speaking of impact, Eloise, I want to wrap up with the book actually itself is not just a book. I know that some of the proceeds actually go to a very good cause. Can you tell me a little bit more about where the proceeds go from your book? And I guess you're also involved with something quite interesting on the side, in addition to everything else you have going on.
0: The proceeds of this second book, part of the proceeds go towards Career Ready UK who are the UK's national social mobility charity and they do some incredible work with young people basically giving them you know expanded horizons and inspiration for the careers that they can have and also practical skills you know workshops that kind of thing and just preparing students from all different backgrounds for the world of work which is such an important thing and I think coming from You know, different a different background uh, myself to most of my peers when I ended up at university. It's just something I believe in a lot, and I'm very passionate about the idea of everyone being given an equal start in life, or you know, everyone starting from the same place and really being taken by your drive and ambition in any direction you want to go in. And so yeah, they're doing some fantastic work, and I am really excited to be involved with them.
1: That sounds like a great, great cause, Eloise, and it's just another reason why people should definitely check out your book. Again, it's called The Purpose Handbook, and I just want to thank you so much for telling us about your life as an author and the dynamics of doing something totally different, and also just the importance of honoring your values. So I commend you for the impact that you're having out there. I know you're doing a lot of great work, so I just want to wish you the best of luck with The Purpose Workshop and One Typical Day and your next book.
0: Thank you so much for
1: having me. So I hope you heard some useful insights from Eloise about the shift from full-time employment to solopreneurship, separating your identity from your job title, and worrying a little less about what other people think so you can focus on what you truly want. Now it's time to wrap up with today's Mental Fuel, where I'm going to share some of my observations and thoughts about how this pandemic can and should force us all to reevaluate how we run our lives and careers. Before we get to today's mental fuel, I just wanted to thank A2 Hosting for supporting this episode of Career Relaunch. A2 is the web host provider I use and trust for my own websites. They even offer 100% carbon neutral green hosting. For an easy, fast, and affordable way to get your personal website online today, visit careerrelaunch.net slash A2 to get 50% off your web hosting plan. This is the part of the show called Mental Fuel, where I finish the show with a brief personal story related to one of the topics we covered today and wrap up with a simple challenge to help you move forward with your own career goals. And for today's Mental Fuel, I wanted to pick up on something Eloise mentioned about how the pandemic shook those things she previously thought were unshakable and how it led her to reevaluate what other things could go without her missing them too much. As someone who crosses paths with a lot of people who are at a crossroads in their careers, and as I start to hear more and more stories of people being mandated to come back into the offices, no longer having the leeway to pick up or drop off their kids in the mornings, or working in ways they would describe as unsustainable, I really feel like one of the biggest tragedies that could result from this pandemic would be people simply going back to working and living the ways they did before this pandemic happened. So if you could bear with me today, I'm gonna deviate a bit from my usual mental fuel approach and do a bit more of a commentary on what I've been seeing as we now enter into the third year of this pandemic from a career standpoint, to share my thoughts for a moment about how this pandemic, as challenging and difficult as it's been, really does present us all with an opportunity to reevaluate how we live our lives, how we run our careers, what we expect our work to look like. And I'll just start with me, what my work used to look like, what's changed for me, and a couple snapshots of what I've observed over the past two years during this pandemic. Now, when I think back to the start of 2020, my daughter, Juliette, who was two years old at the time, was going to a full-time nursery and daycare for the majority of the week, but she would stay home with me on Tuesdays, and Tuesdays for me were kind of a weird day. On the one hand, kids are only this age once, so I really loved spending some quality time with her, going to music classes and ballet classes and indoor soft play gyms at the time. But on the other hand... All of my work would have to pause that day, which just meant I had to make up for that lost work time on other days. At the time, aside from doing a lot of in-person workshops, which was the majority of my work, I was still working with quite a few individual clients, doing all of those sessions with them virtually on Zoom, which was the platform I'd been using for all my client calls and podcast recordings since around 2017. I actually stopped offering in-person client sessions in 2015, mostly just for the sake of time efficiency for me and also my clients. So that's early 2020. Then in March of 2020, the pandemic hit. And our daughter's nursery closed, which meant Juliet was home with us full-time, and that required a serious amount of juggling and multitasking for a few months between my wife and me, which at the time was somehow feasible in part because employers and companies were quite understanding about this impossible balance when schools were completely shut. And as horrible as the pandemic was in early 2020 with lockdowns and deaths and so many hospitalizations, there was actually sort of a silver lining about it, if you could call it that, because I felt like the world slowed down a bit and I felt like people prioritized their personal lives in a way they didn't have the space to do before. The world around me even looked different. For example, on Tuesdays when I used to hang out with Juliet, I was much more used to seeing mothers or nannies, and actually very few fathers out and about with kids, which feels kind of weird to still notice in the 21st century, but that's what I saw. Then in May of 2020, after they lifted the lockdowns here, I'll never forget going to the playground with Juliet and seeing both mothers and fathers out in the parks, playing with their kids, literally having picnics together, running behind their kids, teaching them how to ride their bikes almost like a slow motion ad you would see on TV. It was sort of like this weird utopia in some ways. And on the work front, after an initial scare, my business did survive and even thrive. My individual client sessions weren't really affected. And even though all my in-person workshops got canceled, I was able to pivot to delivering my sessions virtually. And in those virtual webinars, When I ask people, how many of you have gone back to work at your company's physical offices? Literally, there wouldn't be a single person who would raise their hand. Then something kind of strange happened. Around July of 2020, I started to notice on the playgrounds that the demographics started to change, at least during the weekdays. The fathers started to disappear, and I started to see mostly mothers and babysitters again. Now, on the work front, my work was still very virtual, but some of the people attending my virtual workshops started to tell me that there were rumblings about going back to the office. Leap forward to summer of 2021, and if you walk down the street here, aside from some people wearing masks, you would have thought we were back in the summer of 2019. People were back in the restaurants, commuters were back in trains and buses, and schools were open again. I started hosting in-person sessions again and people started heading back into their offices. At least from my vantage point, this trend of returning back to the way things were was sort of like this unstoppable force of regressing back to what we used to know as quote-unquote normal. Then in early 2022, I remember hosting an in-person workshop for some senior execs at a business school here in the UK. And when I asked them who's returned to working in the office, over half of them raised their hands. I was just on site, given a talk at a corporate headquarters a few weeks ago, and I was told there was a huge desire to get everyone back into the office as soon as it was allowed. According to the latest February, 2022 figures from the World Health Organization at the time of this recording, there have been over 400 million cases of COVID-19 around the world. Nearly 6 million people have died from COVID-19. Six million. And those are only the deaths that have been officially tallied. Now, by this point in this segment, if you're still with me, You might be wondering, why is Joseph going on about the pandemic? I thought this was a career podcast. What does this have to do with my job? So I want to invite you to do something with me here. I want you to take a moment to think back to what you were doing in February of 2020. Remember that month? If not, you can even pause this podcast and maybe open up your calendar. I'll actually do that myself. Now, if I go to February, 2020, I see mostly in-person workshops, finalizing presentations, having some of Juliet's classmates over for play dates, getting our washing machine repaired in the home we were renting at the time, attending a writing workshop at The Guardian. What were you up to? What was in your calendar? What was your big project at work? What did your daily workday routine look like? How much did you enjoy your job at the time? What do you recall was frustrating you at work or in your life at the time? What did you want more of? Now jump ahead to today. What's changed with your work? What's changed in your life? And most importantly, what hasn't changed? Are there things you were fed up with two years ago that you're still fed up with now? Were there unsustainable aspects of your job or workplace or family life that you feel are still unsustainable or even less sustainable now? What's a change you had wanted to make? that you still haven't made? And if you haven't made it, when will you make it? The main focus of my work is trying to help people do work they find more fulfilling and more meaningful. So one of the things that I find a bit frustrating, almost tragic, is hearing stories of people just going back to the way things were before the pandemic. Now, if you're in this situation, I know some of this may be beyond your control. You know, if your organization or manager's saying you got to get back into the office, well, you got to go. You got to go back to the daily commute. Okay, well, that's just the way it's got to be. If you're the breadwinner in your family, you got to do what you got to do. That's life. I just encourage you to ask yourself if you genuinely feel that this situation you find yourself in right now is as good as it gets for you. And if not, to do something about it. If you're one of those people who has to go back or is even looking forward to going back to running your life or career exactly the way you did before the pandemic, I guess I just wanted to invite you to consider this moment As a very unique opportunity to perhaps let go of what you once assumed needed to be a part of your career, especially if you think there's a chance that it could open up some room for you to be a little happier. Out of all this tragedy and upheaval from this global pandemic, the bigger tragedy at an individual professional level would be to just settle back into how things used to be. This takes me to a quote from Winston Churchill, who used the word men in his original quote, but I'm gonna use the word people here because we're no longer in the mid-1900s. People occasionally stumble over the truth, but most of them pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing had happened. So my challenge to you is to identify at least one change you wanna make in your career or life, that you feel would allow you to feel better about where it's headed. It doesn't mean you gotta quit your job today or anything, but maybe it means you insist on having something that's important to you that you're just not getting enough of right now, or at least keeping your eyes peeled for opportunities where you might find it. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, I'd really appreciate you leaving a positive review and rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, which helps other people discover the show. You can find the links to do that at careerrelaunch.net slash 81, where you can also find highlights from my chat today with Eloise and learn more about her recent book, The Purpose Handbook. Again, that's careerrelaunch.net slash Thanks so much for listening to Career Relaunch and a very special thanks to Eloise Skinner for sharing her personal story with us today from London. This episode was mixed by Liam McKenzie. Our music was curated by Jonathan rinaldi pohl and the Career Relaunch theme song was written and performed by Electrocardiogram. I'm Joseph Liu and I'll talk to you next time.